Take your Bibles this morning, please, and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy, who is a young pastor in Ephesus, just trying to do ministry, trying to figure it out, trying to provide direction and lead a church, and trying to shepherd a a group of believers so that they might be effective in the world in which they, they live. Paul has told Timothy that in his ministry, he needs to be aware of some things. Beware of false teachers, Timothy, because there are those who would come into the flock and there were those who would take the flock away, away from the truth. So, Timothy, beware of that. Keep an eye open for false teachers. Timothy, focus on the gospel because it is the gospel of Jesus Christ that makes a difference in people's lives. And never leave the gospel. Use the gospel as a grid through which you run everything that is part of the ministry and recognize that it is the gospel that changes people's lives. Timothy, the formation of ministry is prayer. Don't forget to pray. And after you've prayed, pray some more. And pray for all. Pray for those who are in authority. Pray for those who are in the church. Pray for those who are outside the church. I think it is very appropriate that our state legislature has has called us to pray. And I am glad of that focus because the formation of our lives needs to be formed around the wonder of God's working in and through us for his honor and his glory. And Timothy, form an assembly around godly leadership. Make sure that those who are leading, those who are serving, those who are placed in a position of authority are godly men. And last week we talked about how those men are servants and and how they are called to to make a difference in in people's lives, whether they are bishops and elders and pastors or, or whether they are deacons. They need to be godly men, but they are servants. So Timothy, make sure that Those who are called to leadership are indeed serving the flock in a godly way. As we move into verse 14 of 1 Timothy chapter 3, we we take a little bit of a break. And we see the fondness that Paul has for Timothy. We recognize that that Paul has a, a tender side and And he opens himself up so that we might understand something about his emotion and and that which drives him to make a difference in in people's lives. And so this this morning as we look at these three verses, I, I trust that you will sense the tenderness of the apostle. I'm going to ask Randy and Judy Carey to to read these verses for us right now. And I want you to follow along in your copy of the scriptures and hear the apostle's heart. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. 
Did you catch the transparency of Paul? Did you understand what, what Paul is, is saying here? And did you recognize that, that Paul has a, a real love? And this morning we're going to look at that love in three different aspects. We are going to see Paul's love for Timothy. We're going to see Paul's love for the church of Jesus Christ. And we are going to see Paul's love, his awe, and his wonder of his God. In verse 14, the apostle writes, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how you ought to behave yourself. Paul loved Timothy, and he is hoping to come to him and share intimately and personally in his life. Now, Paul has had a 20-year relationship with, with Timothy. He began his relationship when he met Timothy, and it's recorded for us in Acts chapter 16. And Timothy left where he was, and he went with Paul and Barnabas, and, and he was exposed to ministry. And throughout these 20 years now, Paul has invested in Timothy's life and he has ministered to Timothy and he has mentored him and discipled him and he has shared and cared for him. I think it interesting that there are four aspects to the relationship that Paul had with Timothy. The first aspect is that of parenting. You know, parenting is an interesting process. Those of you who have been through it understand that parenting has its ups and, and has its downs, but it is always to be used as an investment to help children to grow in the Lord. We won't take time this morning, but back in chapter 1 of 1 Timothy, Timothy has called his dear child in the faith. And Paul apparently had some influence in Timothy's salvation experience, and he has now begun to help him to grow in life. Now that experience is not always easy. If we were to go back to Acts chapter 16, we would discover that one of the first things that Paul encouraged Timothy to do was to be circumcised. And he did that so that Timothy would not be an offense to the Jewish community to whom he was going to minister. Parenting is tough. And sometimes there are difficult decisions that have to be made. But that was Paul's relationship with, with Timothy. Not only was, was Paul a parent to the Timothy, but, but Paul was also a pace setter for Timothy. Keep your finger here in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and turn over with me please to 2 Timothy chapter 3. In verse 10 we read these words. You, however, that is Timothy have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Verse 11, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I have endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Paul set for Timothy, a realization that, that ministry had to be tough and there were steps that needed to be taken in, in ministry. And Paul set the pace for ministry. He, he showed him how to love and how to be steadfast, how to follow his teaching and conduct himself, how to live ministry out in, in faith. And then Paul was patient with, with Timothy. 
he, he brought him along. And as, as we read the pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy, we discover how, how Paul is investing in his life. How he is helping Timothy to mature and to, to be nurtured. And, and you don't get all that off the top. The lessons that God has taught me in 45 plus years of ministry need to be written down at some point. And God has worked in, in my life. And he has been patient with me and he, he has brought me, me along. And, and I will long remember the, the first day that I sat in an office at Calvary Baptist Church in Sandusky, Ohio as, as my first lead pastoral ministry. And I said, okay, Lord, now what? I, I really thought that I had had the experience. At that point, I, I'd been in vocational ministry for eight years. I'd grown up in a pastor's home and, and watched my dad do, do ministry. But now, all, all of a sudden, being placed in a lead role required a, a different set of experiences that I didn't have at that point. And I am so thankful that people have been so patient with me. I, I'm thankful that you folks have been patient with me. Because we never stop growing. And we never stop maturing. And, and we never stop developing the character of Christ in our lives. So I just want to take a moment right now and thank you for your patience with me. As we have ministered together for nine plus years here in, in Battle Creek, Michigan. And then Paul partnered with Timothy. Timothy was, is called a fellow worker. Timothy is now in Ephesus. Paul wants to visit him. He wants to do that as soon as, as possible. But for some reason that visit seems unlikely. And so Paul writes to him and says, Timothy, I just want you to know some things. I want you to be aware of what, what's going on in, in ministry. And Timothy, I love you so much that I want to share in your life. I am sure that many of you have been impacted by any number of pastors. Pastor Spencer was the senior pastor, the lead pastor here at Calvary Baptist Church for some 28 years. And I know that he impacted so many people's lives. And perhaps there have been others who have built into your life and, and, and encouraged you and showed their love for you. Could I encourage you to drop them a note and encourage them back? as they in a very special way have said I love you and I am so thankful for you Paul goes on to say Timothy not only do I love you but I I love the church I love the church of Jesus Christ why because it's the household of God you see, the church of, of Jesus Christ is more than just an assembly of people. 
The church of Jesus Christ is more than just a gathering of individuals. It, it's more than just a, a meeting of, of folks. We, we've talked over the last six months about being the church and not just, just going to church. Because the church is, is more than just a gathering on Sunday mornings. I want you to know that the church is the household of God. And you and I need to make sure that we are not focusing on a building, but on, on people, the people of God. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. I want you to think about it. We are the household of God. And God has called us as an assembly to represent his house. And the wonder that we have. Oh, Paul, Paul loved the church. But not only is the church identified as the household of God, it is also identified as the church of the living God. You see, Paul now de defines the household. He defines it as the assembly of the living God. The term living God is found some 15 different times in the Old Testament and 13 different times in the New Testament. And initially it was an expression used to contrast the living God with that of idols that were lifeless objects. But it was also used to describe God as the one who is not only alive, but is also actively working in the world and among his people. God is alive, and we are part of the living God. Never forget that. And never forget that it is the living God who works in us and through us to perfect us and to do his good pleasure. And not only are we part of the assembly of the living God, that assembly is the pillar and buttress of truth. The word truth is used some 12 times in the pastoral epistles, 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. It's used five times in 1st Timothy, five times in 2nd Timothy, and then a couple of times in, in Titus. You know, it's all about the truth. Because it's, it's the truth that's a foundation for our lives. We, we live in a, in a culture that is void of truth. Don't you wish that the political ads that you see on television on a daily basis were vetted for truth? I mean, one ad comes out and says this, and another ad comes out and says that, and it rebuts the first ad. And you, and you say, well, what is truth? That was a question that Pilate asked Jesus. What is truth? And he was asking the one who is the way, the truth and the life and so we must recognize that this assembly of believers this this household of God is established on on truth 
And it is the, the pillar, the, the buttress of that truth that allows us to, to share together. Now, although Paul addresses Timothy and says, Timothy, remind your congregation, remind your assembly, remind, remind those that you shepherd that this is a, an assembly of truth. We as individuals have some responsibilities. John MacArthur gives to us eight responsibilities that we as individuals can have according to the truth. And let me just remind you of them in very, very quickly this morning. First of all, we need to believe the truth. We need to, to recognize that it is the word of God that is true. We need to memorize the truth. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The psalmist challenges us. When was the last time you memorized a verse of scripture? When was the last time that you committed to your life a passage of truth so that you could live it out in your life? We need to meditate on the truth. Joshua chapter 1 tells us, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein. And then you shall have a prosperous and successful way. Why? Because the truth is applicable to our lives. We need to obey the truth. Jesus says, you are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. And we all know that obedience is the very best way to show that we believe. We need to study the truth. Paul will write in 2 Timothy chapter 2, the good Awana verse. Study to show thyselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Awana, approved workmen are not ashamed. And you and I need to live that out in our lives. We need to defend the truth. We need to recognize that we have a responsibility to not only live it, but to defend it. And we do need to, to live it. And lastly, we need to proclaim it. Is that not our assignment given to us by Jesus and the, the great commission to go into all the world and preach the truth, the gospel, the good news of, of Jesus Christ? Paul loved Timothy and, and Paul loved the church. But Paul also had a great love for, for his God. And he stood in awe before his God. Now, if your Bible is like my Bible, the last part of verse 16 is indented. And the reason for that is because verse 16 is a hymn that the early church sang. I love the hymns. I love music. Because music gives to me an emotion and a, and a wonder and an awe. And music many times will trigger in my life a sensitivity to the, to the things of God that may not have been there a moment before. And so Paul gives to us a, 
a hymn here that is so important if we are going to recognize the, the praise that we have for our God. Now, if you look at the first part of verse 16, you kind of get a little bit of, of the hymn flow here. God indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Will you read that with me, please? And, and allow it to, to start to penetrate, to, to, to start to, to form your, your emotion. Here we go. Great, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. You, you see how that can strike our emotion and, and can draw us to God? And then Paul gives to us six stanzas of this great hymn. He was manifest in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among nations, believed on in the world, taken up into glory. And as you look at those six stanzas, we have identified the, the life of Jesus Christ. I love music that, that takes me through a story. And here the hymn takes us from the earthly to the heavenly to the heavenly to the earthly. And then allows us to, to focus on the, on the wonder of our God. Manifest in the flesh. That's the earthly. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. Philippians chapter 2 says... Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. You see, the narrative of the life of Christ begins with his earthly ministry. For he was manifest in the flesh. But there was a dynamic in that ministry because he was vindicated. The word is justified by the Spirit. Study the life of Christ and you see how the Holy Spirit of God ministered to him. The Holy Spirit of, of God made a difference in his life in many, many ways. The Holy Spirit of God declared that this was indeed the Son of God. Do you remember Matthew's Gospel where, where Jesus is, is baptized and, and we have the voice of the Father saying, this is my beloved Son, in Him I am well pleased. And then the Spirit descends in the form of a dove. It was the Spirit that, that led him to the wilderness for, for his temptation. And it was the Spirit that made a difference because it was the heavenly influence of that Spirit in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 1 verse 4 says that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of, of holiness. And the word in our text is vindicated. It also can be translated justified, declared righteous. That was the ministry of the Spirit. 
And then we stay in the heavenlies where the song tells us that he was seen by angels. He was seen by angels at his birth. Angels ministered to him at his temptation. Fast forward to Gethsemane and there as he prayed, Father, not my will but thine be done. It was the angels who, who ministered to him. It was the angels who was at the tomb of Jesus Christ when they came to honor him early in the morning and said, he is not here, he is, he is risen as he said. It was an angel who was at the ascension of Christ and said, you men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus whom you've seen going and going to heaven will so come in, in like manner. It was an angel. Yes, indeed, he was justified. He was seen by angels. We now return to, to planet Earth where he was preached among the nations. The word nations many times is, is used to define Gentiles. And the great commission that Jesus has given to us is to go into all the world and, and preach the gospel. You remember Peter's vision. The vision of the food that, that came down and Peter's hungry and he's told rise and eat. And Peter says, no, Lord, that's unclean food. And God said, what I've made clean, don't you call unclean. And Peter then went to the Gentiles and in Acts chapter 13, we discover that Paul and, and Barnabas turned to the Gentiles and, and ministered. Yes, he was preached the nations, and he was believed on in the world. We could translate this, people from all over the world believed in him. Aren't you thankful that that's what salvation is all about? Salvation is, is simply believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Now, God has to work in an individual's heart. And once a life is changed and one becomes a new creature in Christ Jesus, there are a lot of changes and a lot of dynamic that takes place. But it's the gospel that helps us remember that Jesus was believed in throughout the world and then he was taken up into glory what a picture of Christ's final triumph and exaltation again Philippians chapter 2 says therefore because he took upon himself the the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man and humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He was taken up into glory. In the book of Revelation, chapter 19, we discover a rider on a white horse. The second coming of Christ. And on his robe and on his thigh is a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Paul is writing to Timothy and 
helping him know how to do ministry. Trying to encourage him in the ministry because, frankly, sometimes the ministry can be tough. And in the middle of the text, in the middle of his letter, Paul says, Timothy, I just want you to know I love you. I want to come and see you, but if I can't, I want to communicate to you some encouraging words. I love you, Timothy. Paul says, Timothy, I want you to know I love the church because it's the household of God, the the assembly of the, the living God, the pillar and buttress of truth. I love the church, Timothy. I want you to love the church, Timothy. But Timothy, make sure you find your love in an awesome God. In a God who is the mystery of godliness. In a God who is defined not only by earth but in heaven. In a God who has great wonder. Timothy, find your love where I find my love in the awesomeness of our God. God is good all the time. And all the time, our God is good. And if you and I can simply recognize the awe and wonder of our God, then we will know something about how we are to love each other and how we are to love his assembly, the church.